from the EBKV Studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to Coast to Coast on Brotherly Pod with your hosts, Julia, Anthony, and Dan. Everybody to Coast to Coast on Brotherly Pod. This also just so happens to be the 50th episode of Brotherly Pod. So uh, that's fun. We're coming up on our six-month anniversary sometime in the next uh, about 10 days, I believe it is from now. So all kinds of fun things happening here as we approach the summer. It is July 7th. We are here to talk post-free agency, our first episode since Monday. So we are going to catch you up on all the free agents but first let me introduce my guests first from the fourth period.com anthony demarco's here anthony how you doing not too bad dan i hope everyone's having a good sunday nice relaxing day that's uh not too bad too far and from nationalpuck.com julia kenders here julia what's up hey how are you i'm doing good nice day Still kind of hot and humid, but it's been that way for three weeks here, so just got to deal with it. But uh, let's talk, obviously, I got all the bigger names uh, written down here for free agency, so I'll just run through them quick and try and keep up with me. Cam Talbot signed with the Calgary Flames one year at $2.7 million. The Dallas Stars signed Joe Pavelski for three years at $7 million per, and they also picked up Corey Perry for one year at one point five with incentives. Uh, Valtteri Filppula returns to the Detroit Red Wings for two years. Mike Smith lands at Edmonton for one year at $2 million. Sergei Bobrovsky goes to Florida for seven years at $10 million per. Minnesota Wild pick up Matt Zuccarello and Ryan Hartman. Zuccarello is five years, $30 million. Ryan Hartman's two years at one point nine. Keith Kincaid goes to Montreal for one year at 1.75. Wayne Simmons goes to the New Jersey Devils one year at $5 million. Artemi Panarin goes to the Rangers for seven years, uh, $81.4 million. That breaks down to 11.6 a season. Jason Spezza signs a league minimum deal one year, $700,000, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Vancouver bolsters their defense. Well, maybe bolster is the wrong word, but they added to it. Uh, Tyler Myers for five years at $30 million. They also picked up Jordy Ben for two years at two, and Oscar Fettenberg for one year at $850,000. Uh, Peter Mrazek stays with the Carolina Hurricanes, two years at $6.25 million. Robin Lanier goes to Chicago for one year at $5 million. Giannis Donskoy goes to Colorado four years for fifteen point six. Gustav Nyquist to the Columbus Blue, uh, Columbus Blue Jackets, four years at five point five per. Uh, Varlamov goes to the Islanders for four years at $5 million per. Anton Strahlman to the Florida Panthers, three years, $16.5 million. Anders Lee stays in the Islanders at 7 by 7 Timo Mier stays with the Sharks for six, uh, four years at $6 million per. And Curtis McElhaney goes to the Tampa Bay Lightning, two years, $1.3 per. Uh, yesterday, Marcus Johansson signed with the Sabres at two years for $4.5 per. So... Through of all those names, Anthony, uh, what surprised you the most about free agency? Well, I, I think it was the offer sheet. <laughs> I, you know, Canadians and Mark Bergevin went pretty uh, big there, even though the contract wasn't that big. But I really did not expect uh, an offer sheet to take place. You know, there was all that talk about it. Everyone was saying, you know, this will be the year. If it's not this year, then we can just kind of assume that's going away at the dodo bird. But Bergevin stepped up, even though I believe that it was kind of a half-assed job of an offer sheet he made it relatively easy for the hurricanes to uh, match it at a five uh, five-year term with an 8.4 million dollar cap hit but yeah i was really surprised that one general manager took a swing for the fences there even though it wasn't as big as i would have expected and i think most of us would have expected it to be but yeah at, you know dan we were talking off air a lot of the ufas the big name ufas we kind of had a hint of where they were going uh, you know, Bobrovsky going to Florida, Tyler Myers going to Vancouver. So out of the UFAs, uh, the shockers, besides from the RFA uh, offer sheet of Ajo, I think the big shocker would have been Artemi Panarin going to the New York Rangers. I kind of thought it was under the impression that it was between the Islanders and the Panthers. I know that the Rangers were in the mix of it, but it seemed like at the 11th hour he decided to go to the Big Apple. So, yeah, UFA front, Panarin was a bit of a shocker. 
RFA friend, the offer sheet to Oppo. The offer sheet, I I didn't necessarily expect an offer sheet, but like you said, it was now or never as far as one goes. Um, with all the names that are out there as far as restricted free agents go, I, I thought it would be somebody. I was not expecting Sebastian Ajo, and I was not expecting it to be as stingy as it was for Montreal. Um, you, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes had plenty of cap space. You know, it, of all the teams that, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs are cap-strapped and Winnipeg's a little cap-strapped. And, you know, all these t- teams that they could have really uh, uh, taken a run at to steal one of their players. And they picked Ajo at five years at 8.4. Now, granted, that was front-loaded. I believe he had to make $21 million of the 34 whatever it is, in like 12 months or something. So, I'm extremely front-loaded. But at the end of the day, it's like... You know, that's not a whole lot. Quite frankly, I would think if Ajo was out there on his own, he would probably be more in the 9 to $9.5 million range as far as just signing a contract if he didn't get offer sheeted. That's what I would expect, given, you know, how crazy these contracts are these days, especially for a young guy who's putting up 85 points a season. So, uh, Julie, what were your thoughts as far as uh, the offer sheet goes or free agency in general? Yeah, um, I wasn't expecting it to be Ajo. I was kind of expecting an offer sheet. Um, I don't know, I felt like it was just due to happen but I wasn't expecting it to be Sebastian Ajo um, and another um, another surprise of the free agency was Wade Simmons going to the Devils I wasn't expecting that either um, I personally loved Wayne Simmons when he was in uh, when he was in Philly and for him to go from Nashville up to the New Jersey I I don't know, I didn't hear anything about that prior to free agency where I had heard a lot of the other things. Like I heard Bobrovsky and I heard um, talks of Cam Talbot and stuff, but I didn't hear anything about Simmons. So that was a little surprising for me. The morning of free agency, I heard the rumor that Simmons was going to Pittsburgh and my heart shattered into a million little pieces. Uh, but he went to the Devils, which is just slightly better, I guess, at the end of the day. But, um, you know, it's still... Uh, it's going to be hard to see him in red and black this year and see him, you know, multiple times on the other side of the ice. But, uh, yeah, you know, as far as uh, surprises go, again, there wasn't a whole lot. We knew where most of these guys were going before. You know, the, the legal tampering period after the draft is had a free, uh, a free uh, essentially makes free agency day not nearly as fun as it used to be. But, uh, you know, there were quite a few teams that got better, um, in my opinion. And the four that stick out the most are the Rangers, the Devils, the Stars and the Panthers. Uh, now, the Devils kind of got better at the draft, not necessarily through a free agency, but they are a much better team than they were. The Rangers uh, utilized the draft and free agency. Dallas picked up a couple old veterans that I think still have a lot in the tank, because quite frankly, I would have loved if the Flyers picked up Pavelski or uh, Corey Perry, or both of them for that matter. And the Florida Panthers obviously found their goaltender, which has been their biggest need for quite some time now. Uh, Roberto Luongo retired. They traded James Reimer to uh, the Hurricanes, then bought out Scott Darling's contract. So, uh, Anthony, what teams do you think uh, improved the most this far, uh, this summer thus far? Well, I think the four you just mentioned are real up there. I, I really like what the Stars did. They added some veteran, veterans to that lineup and good veterans that I believe still have a lot left in the tank. Like you mentioned, I would have rather Pavelski and Perry than Kevin Hayes, but obviously we don't know exactly what went on. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, they really did a good job. The Rangers got some help in the draft and then went big game hunting for True and Panarin. You touched on the Devils. But one team that really under the radar, I think, has done a good job is the Chicago Blackhawks. And they shored up their goaltending uh, duo there by signing Robin Liner to a one-year, $5 million contract. I think they're preparing for life after Corey Schneider, uh, not Corey Schneider, Corey Crawford. Obviously, Crawford has dealt with multiple injuries the last few years, and this is the last year of his contract. So I think they're really gearing up to give the reins to Liner. I was surprised that Liner only got signed on a one-year deal, but that's a really good pickup for the Blackhawks. They added a lot on the, on the back end. Calvin DeHaan and Oli Mata will bring some legs to that blue line. They're both signed at reasonable contracts, 4.55 for DeHaan over the next three years, a shade over $4 million for Oli Mata. So I like what they did a lot. And I just think that the Blackhawks were a team that they kind of did for the last few years, especially after getting swept by Nashville in 2017, I believe, and then missing ultimately missing the playoffs this past season. So... I really liked what I saw from Stan Bowman and the Blackhawks. They did it under the radar there, but I think uh, 
they made modest moves, but the right moves to maybe get that team back on track. Uh, Julia, what teams do you think got better? Um, I have to agree with both of you. I agree that the Chicago Blackhawks, so I, I live in Chicago, so I follow them a little closely. Um, and I think that they made some great moves. I think getting Robin Leonard was really smart for them because their goaltending, while Crawford is their main goaltender, he's had injuries and their goaltending has been something they've been struggling to find as well as their defensive core. Um, so I think that they've made some really good, uh, solid moves there. I really think the Dallas Stars also have really improved. I think signing Pavelski was huge for them. I think he's going to make a big impact on that team and signing uh, people like Corey Perry as well, in addition, is also going to be really helpful for them. And on the flip side of that coin, the teams that got worse after free agency, you know, some of them marginally worse, some got marginally better. The team, to me, that got just just destroyed in free agency would be obviously the Columbus Blue Jackets. They lost Panarin Bobrovsky, and they replaced him with Gustav Nyquist, of all people. So, uh, obviously, not a whole lot happening there for Columbus. But uh, is there any other team, Anthony, that you think did worse after free agency? Oh, man, I I can't think of a team that did worse than the Winnipeg Jets. Like, my God, they got kicked in the teeth real bad. They lost three of their top six, arguably top four defensemen, and Ben Chirot, Tyler Myers, Jacob Juba. They still have gotten nothing done on the RFA front with Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine. They lost Brandon Tanev. Granted, with the contract that Jim Rutherford handed out to him, I would have let him walk too. But that still is a, ba- a valuable bottom six guy that they've depended on for the past few seasons. But yeah, <clears throat> I really believe that the Winnipeg Jets had a real tough go in free agency and this offseason in general. They just don't seem like a desired destination for a lot of people. They have still yet to sign Neil Pionk, who they got over in that Jacob Truba deal. And, it, you know, looking at their defense right now, it went from arguably the best-looking defense to a defense now that's anchored by Dustin Bufflin and Dmitry Kulikov with a high with a rising Josh Morrissey. But man, oh man, they really have had a tough summer. And I, even though the the Blue Jackets lost a lot of guys, I think that this team, uh, the Winnipeg Jets, really did bad <laughs> so far this offseason. They just are. Uh... You know, their core is starting to get older. You know, Brian Little's 31. Mark Scheifele's already 26. Blake Wheeler's 32. You know, they're kind of getting older. Bufflin's 34. You know, they, they do have Josh Morrissey. They have Simi Niku back there as well. But they haven't talked to Line and from all reports, it doesn't sound like Line is, you know, in any hurry to re-sign in Winnipeg. Yeah, Kyle Connor, who, you know, it could be another potential offer sheet if things go south there. So uh, they are a bit of an interesting team as far as uh, what could do there. They do have quite a few players locked up long-term. Wheeler, Shafley, Ehlers, and Ellers are all locked up to the summer of 2024. So, you know, besides that, their defense is, is all short-term. They have Bufflin and... Uh, Tucker Pullman, who I've never heard of in my entire life, uh, till the summer of 2021. So, and then uh, Kulikov, Morrissey, and Nathan Below are all in the summer of 2020. So, a lot of short-term contracts in the back end, a lot of long-term contracts up front, but going to be interesting to see if they can handle that. Uh, Can you think of any other teams that did worse, Julian? Um, I don't know if they did worse than those two teams. I think those two teams are probably in the worst shape. But I think that the Detroit Red Wings didn't do too much. And for what they did do, they signed Valtteri Filppula. Like, that's not (laughs) the best move for your team. Um, I just think they didn't do much during free agency, so they didn't improve as much as they could have, um, as much as I think some people wanted to see them improve. But as for being worse than Columbus right now um, and Winnipeg, I don't think there's any team out there. The Red Wings are a team stuck between the past and the future in terms of their, you know, they 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 are they are very much in the dead center of their rebuild right now. You know, guys like Jonathan Erickson are still there, who's 35 years old, and Darren Helm has been around forever, and he's 32, and Adbel Cater's 32, and Franz Nielsen still has three years left, and he's 35 years old. And, you know, Dylan Larkin's already 22, so. They're very much stuck in between. They have a a lot of good prospects coming up, but right now they're obviously uh, still in full rebuild mode. Um, Tyler Bertuzzi is 24? Oh, my God. He's older than Dylan Larkin? Wow. I didn't know that. Anthony Mantha's 24. 
Hmm. Sorry, I'm getting on tough track here. I fall down this rabbit hole. Um, another team that to me got a little better would be the Buffalo Sabres. They added a bunch of depth. Uh, they picked up Jimmy Vc from the Rangers. They signed Marcus Johansson, and this team uh, essentially collapsed big time last year. You know, they got off start. They won like eleven straight games or whatever it was in November. Some insane number. They were playing really well, and then after the New Year came, they won like 10 games the rest of the season. Completely fell off a cliff, which, you know, mainly comes down to their depth. You know, they just didn't have it going for them. Uh, they had Skinner, Eichel, and uh, Sam Reinhardt are essentially carrying that team, and then everybody else just uh, is along for the ride, but uh, I-, I think they're going to be an interesting one. Their goaltending is still a little concerning. They have Linus Olmark and Carter Hutton as their duo. Um, Rasmus was the line in their top guy, uh, longest term guy as well on the back end. They picked up Colin Miller. <laughs> I'm jealous of them. And, uh, you know, that's that's about it. Their forwards are up. You know, Reinhardt, Sabadka, Shiri, VC, Jurgensen, uh, Scott Wilson, and Casey Middlestat all up at the end of this season uh, contract wise. So, going to be interesting to see if they can hang in there and who gets re signed at the end of the day. Uh, you got any thoughts on Buffalo, Anthony? Yeah, well, I, I have a hard time with Buffalo because. You just rattle off a bunch of names, some good signings, some good acquisitions that they picked up, and you and you're always like looking at Buffalo and saying, "Okay, this is the year that they're really <laughs> the problem." Yeah. And last year, you know, they went on that what was it, oh, ten game winning streak in November, and then they just fell off a cliff. And until they prove otherwise, I'm just going to assume that they're going to be bad because. I think now now that Carolina has made the playoffs, they're the longest tenure team to have gone without a playoff berth. The last time that they made the playoffs was 2011 against the Flyers, if uh, my memory serves me correctly. But it just seems like, you know, you look at this team, and you, like you mentioned, you have Eichel, and you have Skinner, and you have Middlestead, and you have Ristolainen, and Dahlien, and all these guys. Obviously, the goaltending is a bit of an issue. I can't, I can't really assume why they would go with Carter Hutton, but until they make that next step, I, I just can't buy into them. Now, they're going with, uh, what is it, the third coach in the um, Jack Eichel era with Marcus Kruger, or Ralph Kruger, sorry, Marcus Kruger is the hockey player from Chicago. <laughs> but, you know, like, I want to buy into them. But it's like the, the second management group, the third coaching staff, you keep, like, shuffling the deck chairs by bringing these pieces, you know. They made that Ryan O'Reilly trade that now looks awful, but at the time, you know, they picked up Patrick Berglund and Saboka and Tage Thompson, and I said, yeah, that's that's a good deal to you know kind of spread the wealth throughout their lineup. But it just just every single year, like they do something that just ends up making them look like the laughing stock, and they have all the tools in place. I think Darlene's going to be a stud. I love Rosmus Ristolainen, and no people, Colin Miller's acquisition does not make Ristolainen available. Get that out of your head. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just year after year of disappointment and just underwhelming hockey and not living up to expectations that I'll, I'll agree that in a, in, in a nutshell, their deals make a lot of sense and look really good. But until they prove it on the ice, which they haven't been able to do since 2011, I'm not buying it. They feel like the team, like you said, year after year, like, this is the year they're going to make some noise. And last year it looked like that, and then they completely fell off. So I think any addition could be better. Let's shift focus to Julia's team, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Been wheeling and dealing lately, spending up all the cap space instead of Mitch Marner. They uh, extend Janssen, they extend Kapanen, they sign Jason Spezza, they sign Cody Cece for some ungodly reason, and, uh, you know, they were able to trade Zaitsev, trade Brown, uh, they traded Patrick Marleau at the draft, uh, they traded Kadri, uh, they signed uh, uh, Kerfoot, I believe, Alex Kerfoot, I believe is his first name, that uh, they came in. Uh, from uh, Colorado when they traded uh, Kadri. So they've been able to shift some money around. They got rid of all the people that we essentially expected them to get rid of in, in Marlou, Kadri, uh, Zaitsev. So they were able to spend money, but now they have everybody under contract for next season with the big blue exception of the restricted free agent Mitch Marner with only $3.7 million in cap space left. Julia, from a Toronto Maple Leafs perspective, what is going on up there? You know, I think that I think that Dubis was finally had enough and was like Mitch Marner's not going to dictate the 
uh, direction that this team is going to go into. And he made some moves that he needed to to make his team better in the long run. He added to the blue line, which was great because we only really had like two people on that blue line anymore. Um, and one of them is hurt. Uh, uh, Trevor, Travis, sorry, Dermot is hurt going into the season. So I think Dubas made a call that he needed to make his team better all around rather than wait out Mitch Marner and his camp. Um, I think, I think, <laughs> pardon me, that some of the moves were good. Some of them were moves that had to be made. Um, like signing CC was just one of those like throwaway moves almost like we just needed a defenseman and he was there. Um, but I think overall the trades that were made were expected and Dubas, I think, just finally had enough and needed to make his team better. Like, we didn't have a blue line, basically. So he needed to do something to fix that rather than wait out Mitch Marner. He needed to be proactive and get people while they were available. The only person that the Maple Leafs have signed on the blue line beyond this season is Morgan Riley. He's here till 2022. Everybody else's contract expires next summer. (laughs) So uh, it's a short-term fix at best, but uh, quite frankly, you know, with the money that they don't have at this point, they couldn't really tie a whole lot in. But uh, Anthony, what are your thoughts on the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, I was just going to bring up the fact of their defense and the long-term outlook on it because I, I, in a nutshell, I like what they did. I think that defense, the top four especially, looks a whole lot better this year than it did last year. You know, you could go with a Riley, Barry, Muzzin, CC outlook. I think that's a really strong top four, especially with uh, the trajectory that uh, Morgan Riley's on. I think he's on path to maybe become a top five defenseman in this league. But yeah, it, it's that Mitch Marner thing is just hanging over their heads and Okay, granted, they have 3.7 million cap space, but that's not taking into account the 5.3 that Nathan Horton will go on injured reserve. Uh, and yes, he still is being paid by Toronto. I was, I was baffled when I saw his name come up on the timeline the other day. I saw somebody bring up that Nathan Horton's going to long-term IR. And I'm like, Nathan Horton is still getting paid? Are you kidding me? God, he hasn't played in like five, six years now at least. Yeah, and it was with Columbus, and he actually got traded for David Clarkson, if we all remember. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, that was just God. albatross for albatross. But uh, yeah, so but I, I I like what they did. I really liked that uh, Cadre deal. I think they got a hefty haul for them. Uh, uh, you know, they get Kerfoot, who's going to be a solid third line center for them. I really like the addition of Tyson Berry for them. Uh, I, I, I like the Jason Spezza acquisition. They got Johnson and Kapanen locked down to good deals. But it's this Mitch Marner contract is just going to pose big problems for them moving forward. Because what are you going to do with Barry next summer? What are you going to do with Muzzin? What are you going to do with CeCe? Travis Dermott is going to be do a raise based on what he does this year. And it's just, it seems as though because at all costs, they and we've talked about it before, at all costs, they want to get Mitch Marner locked down. But it seems that because they want to have those big, that three-headed mar- monster with Marner and Tavares and Matthews, that it's going to be year by year that every summer that they're going to have something like this to deal with. You know, Morgan Riley in two summers, I believe, will be, or three summers, will be a UFA. Frederick Anderson a year before that will be a UFA. Like, these are guys who are going to be do hefty, hefty raises and then you don't have anyone locked in on the blue line. So while I like what the Leafs did for the short term, I don't know what's going to happen with Marner. I assume a deal gets done, but it just seems that the path that they're going right now is that every single summer they're going to have to hit this wall and do the same dance year after year. Especially if they get Marner under contract, which will be in the 10 to $11 million range, then you got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven blue liners you have to sign. You know, what do you do? This is going to be, I just, I don't see a way they can realistically keep this together unless they get rid of Nylander and Kerfoot next summer and clear, you know, another $10 million in space and they don't bring CeCe back at 4.5. And they, I just, they have to do a whole lot of, you know, big heavy math here every summer just to figure it out. 
But uh, I'm going to throw this one back to Anthony right away. Uh, heard maybe on the rumor mill that, you know, maybe some team, the Islanders I heard, were maybe proposing an offer sheet to Marner. Do you think we see an offer sheet uh, thrown at Mitch Marner? Uh, it's tough, right? Because any offer sheet with Marner is going to come, I would have to believe, in the uh, the highest, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the highest uh, compensation rate, the highest level. So that would be four first-round picks. I, I think that's something that could cripple an organization, no matter what kind of player you get, because how are you supposed to project how your team will do for the next four years? You know, we see the NHL, how much parity there is. But if there is a team that's going to do it, I would really look at the New York Islanders. I think Lamarillo is on a warpath of sorts. He struck out on Bobrovsky. He struck out on Panarin. He had to be up Anders Lee at the risk of not losing everyone and losing his captain for the second year in a row. I think that the Islanders are determined to get better and seeking revenge on Toronto for not only the John Tavares thing, but even for a personal basis for Lamarello because he got kicked to the curb last summer and replaced by a much younger Kyle Dubas, who's probably young enough to be his grandson. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that the Islanders are a team to look at that would maybe do that. But another possible our, uh, offer sheet scenario, I think, would be the Canadians again, because they're looking hard at Patrick Laine. And the Canadians made a big splash there to try and get Sebastian Ajo, and the compensation right now for that was Nick Cousins. And I just can't think that Bergevin is going to go through the rest of the summer doing nothing. So I would really look at the Montreal Canadiens and keep tabs on them, especially on the Patrick Laine front. I'd be curious to see if Winnipeg would... I mean, they have $22.8 million in cap space at the moment. And they have Line A, Connor, and Neil Pionk to resign, at the, which is my favorite name. One of my favorite names in hockey at the moment is Neil Pionk. It's fantastic. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, Montreal obviously went big game hunt with Ajo, and they did it in a ridiculous fashion. You know, that that was a contract when I saw the terms of uh, What are they thinking? Did they really think they were going to get a deal done, or is that just to screw with Carolina? <laughs> you know, do the old uh, GM what are they, what, collaboration. They wanted to get Ajo on a reasonable contract, so Montreal offered him a ridiculously low offer sheet. Either way, it's just dumb. But, uh, Julia, do you think you're going to see Mitch Marner offer sheeted? I'm not sure. Um, I think... I think the Islanders, of all people, would be the ones to do it. That's what I've been hearing as well. Um, but I don't know. It's just such a high price to pay that I'm just not sure that teams will find it worth it. Because, like Anthony said, you don't know what your team's going to be like in four years. You don't. You can't put everything in this one person and expect it to pan out. What if there's no chemistry there? What if... For some reason, he has an off year. Like you, you don't know what's going to happen. So I feel like it's just a very high price to pay for for something that can be unknown. You you might not be able to draft first round for a few years, and that can really cripple your team. So I'm not really sure, um, but I think that the Islanders are the ones to do it if anyone does. Well, let's shift focus to the Flyers organization for a little while. They were very quiet on free agency after Chuck Fletcher uh, put them back in some cap uh, tightness during uh, the you know weeks leading up. But they did manage to reload the Phantoms roster after letting a couple staples go. They, uh, Terrell Goldborn went to Vegas. Mike Vecchioni went to St. Louis. Uh, Connor Boudreau, who was a fan favorite. I've seen a lot of very angry Phantoms fans that he's gone. I believe he went to the Islanders. Uh, Byron Freeze, who they got in the uh, uh, Dale Weiss trade. Um, he signed somewhere. I don't remember where he went, but uh, off the top of my head. But they did make some replacements. Andy Andrioff, a forward. Curtis Gabriel, who you may remember tried to kill Nolan Patrick towards the end of the season. They signed him. Defenseman Nate Prosser. Uh, Walensky. What the hell is Walensky's last name? First name. Uh, Andy Walensky on the back end. Tyler Wertherspoon in the back end. John Francois Baruby in net. Uh, Kyle Criscolo, Chris Coolio. I don't. I'm not Italian. I don't speak that name. And uh, Chris Bigress, who's my favorite addition by far. Uh, overall, these are all going to be Phantoms moves. But 
and we'll talk about the goaltending a little while because that's my biggest concern. But uh, overall, you know, they made some moves. I don't think we're going to see any of these guys. Uh, at least shouldn't see any of these guys in the NHL long term. But uh, overall, it bolsters the Phantoms because going in, their blue line was essentially non-existent. I believe they had Mark Freeman and Reese Wilcox and TJ Brennan under contract. We're the only three blue liners. Hugo uh, Zumlo will probably be in the CHL again. I doubt he makes the NHL this year. But, you know, they wanted to insulate, you know, Farabee and Frost and Rubsov and Vorobiev. And really looking at the Phantoms' potential roster, it, it does look pretty exciting this far. Uh, Julie, got any thoughts on the Phantoms? Yeah, I think that they really made some depth moves for the Phantoms. I think that what you said about the blue line is exactly what I was thinking. Like, because so many of these guys have graduated to the NHL now, like Myers and even Moran, who was playing for the Phantoms for a little bit, like, they don't really have much there anymore. So I think it's good that they've uh, got a lot of defensive uh, men to to pack in there. I think that they made some really good depth moves, and I think that it's going to be a fun team to watch this season. Uh, Anthony, you got any thoughts on the Flyer signings? Yeah, well, I I think that the deals are very similar to what Fletcher did on the, at the NHL level. Like He made a lot of signings for veteran guys from the AHL perspective to help insulate the kids, like you mentioned, and, and I like the moves because he kind of really set the Flyers up for an injury situation. You know, they, they signed the guy, two guys like Curtis Gabriel and Andy Andrioff, and those are two guys that have played in the NHL and could be decent call-ups if injuries were to occur. Nate Prosser and Chris Bigris, those are guys that could step in and have some NHL experience, especially Nate Prosser if the Flyers' blue line gets um, knocked up a bit. And then you get a guy like J.F. Baruby, again, some NHL experience. So I think that Fletcher kind of learned from the mistakes that his predecessor, Ron Hextall, made. As we saw last year, the Flyers weren't really set up for an injury situation. The goaltending situation especially, the depth at forward when they were forced to call up guys like Phil Veroni and Corbin Knight, who really weren't NHL players. So I, I like the moves. Obviously, they're just AHL depth moves to help insulate a lot of the kids who are graduating, like Matthew Strom and Isaac Ratcliffe and Frost and Farabee. But... These are also guys that, in short-term situations, can help the the Flyers at the NHL level if injuries were to occur. And so I like them. I think that they uh, they showed that Fletcher Fletcher's ideology for not just the Flyers this year, but also the Phantoms. You know, I I I think the Flyers are a much better team than they were last year, and I, I've said this multiple times. But man, I am not a fan of what they've done with the goaltending. I, I think they are putting all of their eggs in Carter Hart's basket, and I don't think that's the way to go. You know, they signed Brian Elliott for one year at $2 million, which is fine, but considering he's had three major injuries over the last two seasons, I just, I don't think he's going to be the guy. Now, if they, again, maybe there is the potential. There's a, you know, maybe Elliott stays healthy and they have a perfect 50-30 split, and Elliott stays healthy and he's good, And but, you know, if Elliott goes down, then you're relying on Carter Hart and one of Alex Lyon or Jeff Bruby, and quite frankly, I don't think either one of those two are NHL goaltenders. Or you have, you know, or they overplay Carter Hart, and then you have to rely on Brian Elliott to stay healthy with Lyon or Baruby. Like, people go, oh, Daniel, Carter Hart can handle it. He's fine. He won't get hurt. But you don't know that. You know, there's no reason in my mind, there's no reason this coming season to overplay Carter Hart. I think this is the year that you should be very careful with the kid. You know, let him continue to get his feet wet. And history states, you know, and I brought this point up when they first called Carter up to begin with, but... If you look at some of the top goaltending prospects that came in and set the league on fire, typically they don't hang in there well their sophomore year. You know, Mark Andre Fleury, Carey Price, Jonathan Quick are the three names that people recognize off the top of their heads that came in their rookie year, set the league on fire, and then immediately regressed in their sophomore and junior years before they kind of got their feet back under him. So, I. I, I if it were me, I would have found a more legitimate backup goaltender. And again, now that they signed Kevin Hayes and, and Niskan and Braun, their cap space got ate up pretty quick. But uh, I'm just, I was not thrilled with the Brian Elliott edition. I'm not thrilled at the Lion Baruby edition. They'll be fine in the AHL. Granted, uh, uh, Felix Sonstrom will probably see a Lion share of the starts, no pun intended. 
down there with the Phantoms. But uh, overall, I'm not super thrilled with this goaltending situation. Uh, Anthony, you got any thoughts? No, yeah, I agree. The goaltending situation certainly scares me in a big way. Because, look, if this was five years ago, I think Brian Elliott is the perfect backup. Yeah. Because he displayed that in St. Louis. I think he made the All-Star team twice, had 930 save percentage in two seasons, and he was the perfect backup to a guy like Yaro Halak or eventually Jake Allen, who could step in for, like you mentioned, that 30 to 40 game set, like that 1B goaltender. But now with injury situation and he's older and we saw how it affected him, three major surgeries in the last two years, you're really rolling the dice. Now, in Fletcher's defense, they kicked tires on a lot of guys. And it was well documented that Talbot was the first choice, but he did not want to re-sign, whether that be because he didn't get playing time or he just saw the writing on the wall with Carter Hart. I think Curtis McElhaney made a decision that it wasn't based on money. I think he got an opportunity to go to a team like Tampa and back up a stud like Andre Vasilevsky, and he made a choice based on trying to win in the twilight of his career. And, you know, Dan, you brought up a point on one of your shows earlier this uh, this week where you said beyond Curtis McElhaney and Robin Lehner, you know, Talbot and Brian Elliott were probably the best pickings among the UFA goaltenders. And I think when Fletcher struck out on Talbot and he saw that McLean was a highly sought-after free agent and was going to go to a team more more poised to knock on the door of a cup, he kind of just wanted to short up and he did not want to be left just standing there with nothing. And he just went the safer, re-signed Brian Elliott, tried to get a guy like Barubi who has some NHL experience to cover his ass a bit. But, yeah, you're right. It, it is rolling the dice. I understand why he did it. But after two years of just goaltending, being up in the air, and always a revolving deck chair of guys, like I, I would have expected something better. But at the same time, I understand how they fell into the predicament. Yeah, and and I get where he's coming from as well. And I did bring that up on, on previous shows about there was just nobody out there this year. You know, you had Bobrovsky and Varlamov, uh, obviously the top two guys, and, you know, Lanier is out there. And, you know, you, obviously guys like Colonel McElhaney who are, you know, maybe minor improvements over Elliott. But I just, I, I wish they handled this better. You know, because I, I, especially after we just went through eight goaltenders in one season. You know, I just think that they should have handled this a little smarter. We had, uh, on the OMB podcast, we had you and the fourth period guys on around the trade deadline. And the name Jonathan Quick was thrown out for the Flyers. Now, granted, he's making $6 million for four or five more years. And uh, now that, you know, they're dealing with this Kevin Hayes contract, I obviously don't have the room to do it. But somebody like him, even though I'm not the biggest Jonathan Quick fan, he would have been perfect. You know, he would have been a, a veteran guy that can still handle the lion's share and can come in and make things happen and be good as a back up and, and at least semi-reliable as far as injuries go so I don't know I, I would have not signed Brian Elliott if I were them I don't know who I would have gotten in return but uh, something else uh, Jewel you got any thoughts on the goaltending situation yeah I was about to bring up the fact that of all times to be signing Brian Elliott is right after we went through eight goaltenders in one season like that's not I mean I feel like we should have been a little smarter but as you said there's like no one out there right now so I understand signing Brian Elliott. It's not the best move. He's not the best choice to be backing up Carter Hart, but he's what we have, and now we have to deal with that. And I think that as a Phantom's point of view, I think they're fine with goalies. Um, but is Mike McKenna a free agent? I believe he is a free agent. I don't think he officially retired yet, but I believe he is retired. Oh, okay, okay. Because I was going to say, because that could also add to the Phantoms and he could always come up instead of Lion, but if he's retiring, then never mind with that. Um, I think that it's going to be tricky this year. It's going to be tricky to balance Carter Hart and Elliot and make it an even, like a, not an even balance, but a healthy balance. It's going to be hard, and I think it's going to be hard if someone does go down what they're going to do next. Um, and maybe they'll have to make some moves in the middle of the season like they did last year to find somebody like a goaltender like Mike McKenna that they brought in. Um, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. Goalies are fickle and hard to predict, so we just have to hope for the best. Yeah, I, I, uh, there are quite a few 
optimistic people, far more optimistic than I am, that's, oh, well, Daniel, it was Dave Haxtell that ran Brian Elliott in the ground. And, and, you know, now that he's gone, they're going to do it. But, you know, I don't have the 411 on what Alevino did with goaltenders. But thinking, you know, I looked at Carter Hart's numbers here, or uh, Cam Talbot's numbers, rather, back in New York. You know, obviously... Uh, uh, Henrik Lundqvist was the guy back then, and then in, uh, all going back to remember <laughs> anybody remember the Roberto Luongo Corey Schneider situation in Vancouver? You know that was a big mess as well. So I don't know if this guy's going to be you know the most trustworthy with goalies. I think when you have somebody like Carter Hart, you know it's hard to ignore that shiny toy that you have there with him. So I, I get that, but I don't know. This is, I just would not have gone after Elliot. I would have been a little smarter with the the acquisition there. But again, they had their hands tied cap wise, but. Uh, the Flyers still have three big names yet to sign that are restricted free agents. Ivan Provorov, Travis Konechny, Scott Lawton. Uh, all three really haven't heard a whole lot. Lawton has filed for salary arbitration. Uh, Konechny supposedly working out a deal that's supposedly going to get uh, get done this week by some of our fake insider sources here. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Ivan Provorov still uh, not looking like anything is on the horizon there. Do you have any updates for any of those three players, Anthony? Yeah, I actually just put out a tweet while we were on the air right now. But uh, the despite filing for arbitration, expectation is that Lawton and the Flyers will get a deal done. The the ter- the expected term and the AAV are yet to be decided. Uh, but uh, the expectation is they will hammer out a contract well before they reach arbitration. As for Travis Konechny, as we know, some fake insiders are pretending like they know something. <laughs> but I, just based on pure speculation and going off of what Kapanen and Janssen got in Toronto, I, I would think that his AAV would come in around $4 million based on his um, production the past few seasons. I would say it would be on a four-year term, so four years, $16 million. And for Ivan Provrov, it just seems like they've hit a brick wall. Uh, I I wrote an article earlier this week about how their hands are tied with them. And if you go based on his usage and how much they depend on this guy, they really can't budge off of a seven and a half, eight million dollar AAV for him because you look at a guy like Aaron Eckblad and how the Panthers utilized him in his first years and he got that massive extension with a seven point five AAV. So yeah, I, I think with Provrov they really have no choice but to give him what he wants. I think that if they let this stretch out, it's just going to hurt the team because they really cannot afford to start the season without him locked up. So I just think eventually they're going to have to cave. Again, based on pure speculation, no sources attached to this. But I think eventually they're going to have to cave and they're going to get him locked into a deal of eight years. I think the expectation is that it will not be a bridge deal. It will be a long-term signing. So if I had to guess, it would be six to eight years with an AAV of seven and a half to eight million dollars when all is said and done. Yeah, I just don't see how they have any leverage with Ivan Provorov. You know, you can the obvious thing is well, he took a step back last season and he didn't produce, but you're still playing the guy for you know twenty five minutes a night, and he's still without a doubt the top guy in the team. So I just they don't have any leverage. They're gonna have to sign him. They're gonna have to bite the bullet and uh, and just deal with it. Connect me. Again, it's going to be very interesting to see where he comes in at. You know, see if they go for a bridge deal with him. I don't know if they will or not. Quite frankly, I would kind of pull a Shane Goss's beard deal with him and get him locked up on a reasonable contract uh, for you know five six years. And Scott Lawton, I he's an interesting one for me because if he goes to arbitration, he's probably going to make three to three and a half, is my guess. But I would be much more comfortable paying him in the two and a half to three range versus anything higher than that. But uh, yeah, he's one of those guys. I really like Scott Lawton. I like his game. I like what he brings to the table. But, you know, the offense isn't there. He's essentially a fourth liner at this point, but he's a really good fourth liner. So um, I, I, I kind of don't really know what to pay him. But, um, Julie, you got any thoughts on the Flyers restricted free agents? Um, all I've heard is that they're working out a deal with TK. I haven't heard much more. Other than that, um, I, I'm i not a numbers person, so I'm not, like, the best person to ask about this. But um, just a quick question. Don't we also have in the system uh, Abe Kubel to sign as well? Yes, Abe Kubel is the only other remaining restricted okay. free agent. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think... I think Ivan Provorov, this is just what we've been talking about for the past few weeks. It just keeps coming back to this, and it's going to 
keep coming back to the fact that he's going to make what he wants to make almost. Um, I think that there's not a lot of wiggle room with him there. Um, we need him and we need to pay him. There's no way we can start, like you said, there's no way we can start the season without him. So I think that it's just going to have to be one of those situations where you just have to like not give up, but give in, you know? Yeah, and uh, as far as Abe Kubel goes, I really like Abe Kubel. He's one of those guys that maybe I like more than he's actually worth. But you know, when he came up, uh, I believe it was December, maybe uh, November, he played a couple games. Now, granted, Dave Haxtell was still there, and he was playing three minutes a night, but he looked like he was competent in those three minutes. And given there is an open spot right there, he's still a restricted free agent, so an open spot on the Flyers roster. So who knows if he comes back? Who knows if he sees ice time? But uh, I would much like to have Abe Kubel back for the Flyers. Um, as far as that, let's just take a look at the Eastern uh, Conference at this point and essentially try and pin down what's going on. You know, in the uh, Atlantic, you still got Tampa, Boston, and uh, Toronto. I think those are the big three. Uh, Canadians maybe will get better. They made a couple of the little moves. The Panthers are obviously going to be pretty good if if Bobrovsky can and bring something to them. The Sabres are the big question mark. We talked about them. I think you can rule out the Red Wings and Senators as legitimate competitors over in the Metro Division. This one is where it gets a little tricky in terms of projecting. Um, I think Pittsburgh and the Capitals are probably still going to be fine. I think as long as Crosby and Ovechkin are still around, they'll, they'll find a way to hang in there. As for everybody else... I don't really know. You know, the Islanders struck out on their big all, all their big free agent acquisitions, but I looked at the roster going into last season. I didn't expect them to make any noise, and they did. And they got Varlamov, who, you know, m- could potentially be as good as Lanier last season. Obviously, Lanier was riding more of a magical ride than anything, but, you know, the Hurricanes didn't necessarily make any improvements, but, you know, hell, they, I don't know if they're going to pull a magic rabbit out of the hat like did last year or not. The Blue Jackets... Took quite a few big hits. You can probably rule them out, though. Who knows what's going on there? The Flyers. I would. Li- <laughs> I've ranted about this the past couple weeks, so I'm not going to get going off here. But I, I think they're going to be competitive. I don't think they hold any advantage there. The Rangers obviously got a lot better, and the Devils made some improvements. So I don't think they're going to be basement as long as everybody can stay healthy. But uh, the East, and especially the Metro, uh, Anthony looks extremely competitive heading into the season. Yeah. Well, there were some. Obviously, the Metro was the most active, but. The Devils, I, I'm not going to buy into them until I see them put on the ice. I think they're depending a lot on, on they're depending a lot on their certain guys staying healthy. I don't really like their depth. Granted, they added PK Subban, Jack Hughes, all this. You know, Travis um, Taylor Hall will be will be healthy this year. But I just feel like if they go into an injury situation where they're kind of tight against the cap a bit. Or not tag against the cap, but they just don't have as many roster options as they could. They will pose some problems. Even Corey Schneider in the net, Mackenzie Blackwood's still a bit unproven. So them, I don't expect them to be as good as people are projecting them to be. Still, the New York Rangers, I love what they did. You know, they they brought in Truba, although he's still not signed. But I, I still think that the best improved team in the East is still the. Um, the Florida Panthers, and that's a team that I think is really going to make a step forward in that barbaric Atlantic division with Toronto and Boston and the Tampa Bay Lightning. So I think that division is going to be really top-heavy, but the Metro division is going to be more of parity throughout the whole lineup. In the top three, like you mentioned, I expect Washington and Pittsburgh to be right at the top. And you know what? I, I still like the Flyers in the top three because I think New Jersey and New York has a lot of unproven tangibles to that lineup while the flyers i think the talent is there and i'm expecting that their acquisitions to really help them so i think columbus is going to take a step back new york islanders like you brought up you know like it's easy to write them off based on purely analyzing their roster but as we saw last year they were much better than people anticipated but yeah i i still like the flyers to finish inside that top three but who knows that metro division has a lot of parity in it julia yeah, the Metro, I feel like, is going to be really uncertain this whole uh, upcoming season because I think that it's just so competitive and so stacked that I think that there's no way to tell what's going to happen and who's going to finish on top of who because, especially with last season, like 
we had no no way to predict that the Islanders would come out as hard as they did. Um, I think that is going to be really competitive and really great to watch. Um, I think the Eastern Conference as a whole is going to be a little more competitive than the West. I think it's going to be... I don't know. I think it's just going to be a fun, competitive season for this side of the country. Or two countries. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I agree as well. I think the Metro is going to be a tight race as it has been the past couple years. And if the Rangers can get it together. Again, I'm not super scared of the Devils in terms of depth. But the fact that they did make good moves. They brought in Subban and they drafted Hughes. And and if Hall can stay healthy, their goaltending is is a bit shady at that. You know, Corey Schneider has fallen off a massive cliff over the past two years. I believe he has, what, like three wins in the past two seasons or something like that. It's crazy low number. But, uh, you know, they're relying a lot on Mackenzie Blackwood, who is the cheap man's Carter Hart. So, We'll wait and see what happens there, but I think it's going to be a very, uh, very interesting season indeed. And uh, that is about it for us, guys. Unless you uh, have any other talking points you want to get on, anybody? Nope. No, I think we covered pretty much everything. Uh, you know, there. Were, you know, this week was very busy at the beginning, but the news kind of fell off a cliff halfway through. Yeah, and uh, that's. Maybe one of the, you know, my uh, schedule is starting to clear up here a lot. We have a uh, new O&B podcast tomorrow. Anthony makes his debut as a full-time member. Uh, Angry and Negative show on Wednesday night. Well, we're pretty much wrapping up our season as well. And uh, we may or may not be back next week, depending on the news. Uh, pretty much playing it by here, uh, playing it by ear from here on out. So uh, that has been it. Uh, Julia, where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, I'm at JK underscore Kender. And Anthony? I'm at Demarco 25 And I am at Dan the Flyer Fan. Be sure to follow the sites at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod, at National Puck, and at National Pod Net. As far as National Puck goes, we have added two Stars writers, a Rangers writer, and a Canadians writer over the past few days, so be sure to check them out and follow them. As far as Brotherly Puck goes, my summer series will be returning uh, tomorrow. Top five on Monday, History of Flyers jersey number on Wednesday, and the abbreviated History of Series on Friday. Brotherly Puck Weekly should be out Thursday as well, so Be sure to check all that out. Thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night.